Welcome back to Hire Everyone, the podcast full of wicked stories from the job market and experts showing you how to succeed in it. Because we've all been there, haven't we? It's time to get unstuck. It's time to make some change. It's time to lead. And as always, it is time to hit that funky beat. But before I do so, a quick word on today's guest. Today on the show is fellow communicator, or dare I say, master communicator, Jane Constantini. TEDx speaker, presenter, facilitator, communication and presentation trainer, and voiceover artist of the highest caliber. If you thought that that was a mouthful, then train up your attention span, everybody, because we've got plenty more where that came from. Jane and I, and I promise you, the effortlessly graceful co-host Nikki Simmons will return. We are both comms people, and as such, well, we get carried away commsing. So this episode on communicating with confidence is split in two parts for your listening pleasure. Jane escorts us into the world of what happens between two people when they interact, specifically when they interact in a negotiation for promotion, for a higher salary, for time off, for a job change, you name it. We talk about verbal communication, we talk about nonverbal communication, and we talk about how you don't have to be one of those extroverted loudmouths to negotiate like the confident champion that you are. Wait, there was something else, wasn't there? Oh yes, that funky beat, let's go! We've got Jane in the virtual studio. I am beyond thrilled. Thank you so much for joining us. And our audience knows at this point, and it's a bit of an old hat, but we like to ask our guests to elevate and pitch themselves up a tall building where they live and present themselves. So you just said it's somewhere southwest London, and you also mentioned that the shard might be close enough to quickly toodle over an elevator up. So who are you? Who am I? Oh, that's very deep. Um, mm. How lovely to think that we might be on top of the Shard. It's the most glorious day here in London. Blue sky, so it would be an amazing view. <laughs> um, so who am I and what do I do? Um, well, I've spent 25 years <laughs> in front of cameras, microphones, audiences, and of course, recently, uh, laptop screens. and. During that time, I've, I've learned a lot about communication, as you can imagine. Mm -hmm. And what I do now is I harness everything that I've learned and I offer it to other people to help them become skillful and confident communicators. Coincidentally, I also carry on doing all the other works. I'm still a voiceover artist and a presenter and I facilitate live events and, and so on. And I work with individuals and groups, large and small. And of course, uh, because now I work remotely as well, uh, I work with a lot of international clients. And it gives me such pleasure to see people transformed before my very eyes. Mm. 
I give people the tools to be able to grow. We're going to talk about confidence, obviously, today, to be able to grow their confidence. And, and then they can carry on growing their own confidence and become really skillful and effective communicators. I believe, genuinely, Tom, that communication is the most important life skill. I feel incredibly refreshed about having another communicator, as in the profession of communications, among our guests, because it is also my vocation and what I enjoy doing the most, and also a skill set that most people believe is sort of either intuitively you got it or you don't. Whereas in a professional setting, I believe that there's method to the madness, and we're going to explore some of this method today. Uh, so thank you. I think this elevator ride was very much enjoyable. Um, to the audience out there, Old hat number two, sneakily, in a completely obvious attempt to make you listen until the very end of this episode, we've asked Jane to withhold some of her most prized possessions, her most practical top tips until the very end. So do stick around. And if you're new here, hi, welcome to the Higher Career Podcast. Um, please be sure to check us out on social, the links to our LinkedIn and Instagram presence, where we post behind the scenes additional resources on how you can also acquire and attain your dream career I post it on a very regular basis. But let's dive into this episode with um, Jane. We haven't done this in a while, which makes me feel slightly as if I were busy resuscitating an expired hamster, really. But here we go. Let's go about busting some myths in the communication space. Some people are born to be seen as confident extroverts, while others are born to be seen as shy and introverted mice. Are we truly this stuck in our external presentation or do we have more leverage here, Jane? What do you think? Mm -hmm. uh, yeah, it, it really is uh, a myth, this, this concept uh, of confidence. And I often hear people say, oh, well, you know, I wasn't born confident. I think confidence is a muscle. It isn't a mystical force field or something that we acquire by osmosis. And it very definitely isn't something that we're necessarily born with. And it's interesting that some people, some people are confident in some areas of life, work, for example, and mm. not in others. So socially, for example, I believe it's a muscle. I believe it is something that we grow. I actually think uh, communication is like a sport. So if, if, if we were tennis players, we would be unpicking our ground strokes, for example, <laughs> and we would be isolating lots of different small elements and we'd improve all of those. So this is the, the well-known marginal gains principle mm -hmm. in sport. Uh, we'd improve every element and then we'd put it back together again. And it's the difference between uh, bronze and, and gold medal. And communication and confidence is the same. So at the very heart of everything I do with every individual and every group, it's about giving them the building blocks of confidence. Um, there's always a moment, and I love this, and I say to them, we're talking about confidence, and I say, oh, I've got, I've got bad news for you about confidence. Sorry about this. I can't make you more confident. And I see their faces drop. And then I go, <laughs> and then I go you are going to make you more confident, and I am going to give you the tools. And 
what people love about this is it gives them a feeling of control, mm-hmm. that it's something that they can take charge of rather than having to, as you said just then at the beginning of the question, fall back on the idea, ah, oh, well, you know, I'm rather an introvert, therefore I can't be confident. Absolutely not the same thing. There's a brilliant book, and I bet you've read it, um, all about introverts. I'm passionate about introverts. It's called Quiet by Susan Cain. Are you familiar with it, Tom? Uh, not Susan Cain. We did have a very interesting guest uh, on the show, the Milita Campbell, who wrote a book that had the wonderful title. It was um, A Shy Girl's Guide to Networking, which oh. was very much operating the same vein. So Milita, oh, yes. if you're listening, shout out. Uh, we've promoted this book quite a bit. Oh, brilliant. Yeah. Anyway, the Susan Cain, the subtitle of Susan Cain's book is The Power of Introverts in a World mm. That Can't Stop Talking. Uh, and it's a real <laughs> celebration. I know. Good mm. title. Um, I think every leader in every business should read this book. Mm-hmm. I'll be sure to put a, um, to you out there listening, possibly interested in this book. The link will be down in the show notes of this episode. So wherever you're listening to this, I'm Spotify, Apple Podcast, on your screen, there should be a tiny arrow to expand, a long blurb that I've come up with for the search engine. But within it, hidden, are eight links to Jane's um, social profiles um, and how you can get in touch with her if you so desire, as well as this book. So thank you very much for the book recommendation. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so... This is fantastic. So we have now ascertained that, in fact, we are not doomed to be just this one thing, but we can, through practice and training, gain control and modulate our energy and our projection to meet, you know, a momentary need. It doesn't have to mean that we have to be become a different person, but we can strategically do certain things to achieve certain things. So on this note, just by the way, dear audience member out there, if you wish to know more about this topic of energy modulation, flexing power, becoming slightly more humble if needed in a meeting, for example, we recommend that you check out episode 24 of this podcast, which is how to be an admired leader with the wonderful Susan Peterson. Um, so we recorded this last year, but it's still, still a classic, still a classic. So back to the topic. Jane, I suspect that some of our listeners may be thinking, but wait a second, I am a shy introvert and I don't want to sacrifice my authenticity just to succeed in a negotiation. So what do you have to say about authenticity in this kind of scenario? Oh, yeah, you're so right. It's a very important word. And within the first 10 minutes of every training experience I offer, uh, I, I bring this word in and, and I, I reinforce that, that what we're going to do together is about authenticity. It's about remaining true to your natural style, but we are, it, it's about finding the version of you. I'm very keen on this idea of different versions of ourselves. Mm-hmm. Because of course we we naturally have this. We we instinctively and 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 without realizing it switch from from one version to another the way we are with our partners, our children if we have them, colleagues, our bosses if we have them. Um these are different versions. And so what I help people to do is find the version that has maximum confidence and presence and gravitas Mm -hmm. um, and that they can click into that version 
when they need it. But it, it absolutely 100% must be authentic because it's not achievable to be acting or pretending or talking in a very different way. Oh, now I've got my gravitas voice on, Tom. I don't suppose you noticed that something changed. Um, it, you know, it's not achievable and it's not desirable because audiences see through it. And funnily enough, I did a piece of research for my own knowledge a couple of years ago, and I asked people to identify what they see in those who speak out loud to them, whether that's in a negotiation or a presentation or a meeting. And I was really surprised that the word authentic came up unprompted again and again and again. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. People see it, they notice, and they value it. So I wonder... For me, I believe in this in this idea of multiple versions of oneself because it's I find it very noticeable if people are often driven to in my eyes um, by insecurity trying to cling on very very tightly to this one definition that they have of themselves and I find it quite I don't know if you if you've ever met people like this that feel just they just have this one shape it's rigid it's, it doesn't mm. budge. And I find it quite sad because we've got so many facets to ourselves that I have introverted tendencies, although I'm mm. a very strong overtalker. So for me, most of these things live on a spectrum that is quite flexible that might change day by day or week by week, or just depending on where my mood sits on a given day. And I think allowing oneself to explore this also will give you a greater sense of this authenticity, even though you might be flexing certain muscles differently in a certain kind of setting. Oh, so, so so right, and and in fact, the beginning of my relationship with with every person that I train is to get them thinking about themselves as a communicator, mm -hmm. something that they have probably never done before. I ask them a number of questions, you know, in, in email. I ask them to think about what their strengths and weaknesses are, to be, to be very specific. Uh, I ask them, uh, how do you think you're perceived? How do you want to be perceived, etc. And And often they come back and say, I've never thought about this stuff before. And it's, it's really interesting that I'm now unpicking what is going on with me as a communicator and of mm. course then it, it allows me um, to, to, to tailor um, what I'm offering people and mm -hmm. uh, you know there are a broad broad range of of these 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 marginal gains these these topics it might be somebody who can't do small talk it might might be somebody who really suffers from the physical effects of nerves it might be somebody mm. who isn't very structured in their thinking and therefore their communication all different um, uh, uh, tools that, that we can then improve. What is interesting to me is that this is something that you have to alert people to. Because to me, what communication is, and while I love the artistry of it, whether it's, uh, whether it's verbal communication, whether it's about choice of word or tone, or physical communication, and the wonderful, confusing and complex and chaotic mix of all of these things, is our only means of attempting to convey what we are actually thinking and feeling. So we're trying to project a something that is so fast generated by our brain, a thought, a feeling, a moment in time, and use this 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 almost sometimes crippling tool of communication <laughs> to try and project it as accurately as possible, which is why misunderstandings happen all the time. And you wonder, why don't you understand what I'm trying to say? The much rather it is, 
why are you not understanding what I am feeling and attempting to project through language? So we are by nature doomed to communicate. So we might as well embrace it. Um, so this episode is about, about negotiation and is actually following a first step that we've had in this journey where we talked about negotiation from a more strategic standpoint, where we talk about setting a particular aim, a goal, doing research, strategizing about arguments, layering them, figuring out when to pull that um, that ace that was hiding up in your sleeve. Now, in this episode, we're doing the second half of this piece on communication, which is really the how, which is about you as a person, you as the vessel of all of these different messages. And we love a list. I love a list. We talk mm. about top tips. We talk about key pillars. We could talk about elements of your wall of fabulousness, as we did with the wonderful Sinead Sharkey Steenson, who's got the best name. So, you know, even listing favorite wines sounds like a wonderful idea to me anyways. So I digress. <laughs> we talk about your four pillars, uh, your four key pillars of persu- persuasion. So... Key pillar one is getting to know your audience or the recipient of your negotiation prowess before you ever actually meet them. So how exactly would you recommend we go about that? Yeah, I think um, making the starting point for for your preparation, I I know you've done a lot of work already on preparation, but the starting point for not just negotiation for every single piece of mm-hmm. communication should be an analysis of of the people that you want to persuade and influence and guide and mm-hmm. lead and so on. You know, if I said to you, Tom, I'm, I'm going to a thing tonight, Tom, I need a brilliant joke. Have you got a joke for me? What's your next question going to be? Who's the joke for? Thank you very much. Are yes. You Yes, if it's if it's for my three-year-old niece, then you're going to have to give me a joke that's about a Disney character or Peppa Pig. And if it's for the rugby club, well, it's going to be a very different joke, not <laughs> broadcastable on this channel. Um, so we instinctively do that in our ordinary um, world. We need to apply the same um, rigor to to preparing for negotiation and communication in general. And I find there are four questions that are very helpful in, in guiding us. Mm-hmm. And question one is, what do they know? What do they know about the topic, uh, about the issue, about me, uh, about my organization, about the context, factual uh, stuff, so that we can pitch our content appropriately? Mm-hmm. Second question, what are they feeling? And in the context of a negotiation, this is especially important. What are they feeling? What is going on with those individuals? And remember this, there is no such thing as an audience. Instead, there's a group of individuals. And so Mm -hmm. we have to do a little bit of of audience segmentation. So what is the emotional landscape across these three, four, 20 people? Are they cynical? Are they hostile? Are they supportive? Are they excited? Are they afraid? What's going on in their business? What's going on in their department? What's going on in the world? What happened this morning in the world that might have an impact on them around the negotiation table Mm -hmm. this afternoon? And the reason I'm very keen on this is something that Aristotle said to me a little while ago when he was on one of my courses. He said, persuasion may come when the speech (laughs) stirs 
the emotions. Human beings haven't changed in two and a half thousand years. Persuasion, emotion, very, very closely linked. So that's why that second question is super important. Mm-hmm. What, 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 what are they feeling? Question three, where am I taking them? Uh, this is uh, the journey. Um, what, what is the end point of this part of the negotiation, perhaps? Um, where do I want to be at the end of our, our conversation? Very important that you have clarity on that, because if you don't have clarity on it, you're not going to be able to reach that, that milestone. Fourth question, and um, I sometimes refer to this as the the two minutes on the lavatory question. That's not to say that you actually have to be on the lavatory. But (laughs) but people often, when I start talking about preparation, which I do a lot, uh, they go, I see their faces drop. I see the blood drain from their faces because they're Mm -hmm. thinking, I'm already at capacity. Uh, I have no time available. So this is the two minutes on the lavatory question. If you're very, very short of time, what's in it for them? Let me paraphrase. Why should they care? Why should they Mm -hmm. listen? How is what I'm going to say, what I'm going to offer, what I'm going to propose of genuine value and benefit to them, Mm -hmm. particularly relevant in a negotiation situation? So that that's that's what I offer people by way of audience mapping and audience preparation. Four mm-hmm. simple questions. We do like a list, don't we? We like a checklist. I love a list. A list yeah. inside of a list in this case, even this. Oh my god, a sublist. A sublist. <laughs> <gasps> no. <laughs> a sublist. I mean, for me, we talk about negotiation, some people might think, but I don't work for the UN, so why would I oh. care? To me, most things, we should also do another episode on now that we talk about it, seduction, which is another very interesting (gasps) piece. I might actually link, there's a wonderful TED talk about this, which I will also link down in this episode. But again, digressing. For anybody out there still with us, negotiation is everywhere and anywhere. In this particular instance, you might think about a job interview where the most important salary that you will ever negotiate in a given company is your entry salary. Mm. Afterwards, you are part of the machine and it's very programmed how far you can rise. So the starting point is quite critical and it's something that's very complicated to do because you feel like you haven't haven't proven that you are of value yet. So how are you possibly to this company? So Mm. how are you possibly allowed to and entitled to ask for something? Which is, this is a tip that I've heard from many friends um, that work in the talent acquisition and recruitment space. They say, I interview all the time. I apply to jobs all the time, even though I love my job, without necessarily the intention of taking the offer, unless it really is overwhelmingly fabulous, then I'll go. For me, it's about staying fresh and Mm. about practicing and honing my skill. One thing that you mentioned, Jane, is to ask the question, how are they feeling? What do they want? What are they on the, on a given day in general? How is that business doing? Some of this you can you can get to terms with by doing research. Something else is by learning how to read faces, how to read posture. Is this a hostile meeting room? How do you need to turn it into a conducive and productive one? Is this a silly one? Do they care? Are you wasting their time just by being there? So you should just really turn around and leave. Mm. Um, so I think interviewing frequently, it will take the stress out of it and it will allow you to hone um, the sense of 
what is the vibe in this room? How do I need to address it to make it listen to me? I think uh, is a is a tip that I wanted to pass. Mm. Can can I come in there on uh, on on that issue and and something that you said earlier actually about this uh, and it was a lovely description of the the confusing and crazy world of communication mm. because something's come up in the last uh, two and a half years a lot in in my training which is people uh, communicating online mm-hmm. and seeing a group of faces in front of them and misinterpreting what they see. And by that, what I mean is that when people are remote, they are often in listening or concentrating, receiving mode, facially and non-verbally. And often people's listening and concentrating faces are very flat, Mm -hmm. sometimes even hostile. (laughs) Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Uh, Not everybody is an active listener who is going to be smiling every time you make an interesting point. Mm -hmm. And the thing we've got to remember is, unlike in a in a in a physic in a room when you're when you're physically there with people and you are looking into the eyes of one individual who will then if they're a half decent human being give you a little bit of feedback and a bit of a smile and a, and a physical response whilst the other 10 people around the table are in receiving listening um, receptive mode Online, nobody feels that you are actually looking at them individually. And therefore, everybody is in their flat, concentrating, leaning back, possibly arms crossed, concentrating uh, mm. persona. And people see this and make a wrong assumption that nobody's interested in the content, the content is wrong, the content Mm -hmm, is mm -hmm. not landing, they're not making good points. Mm -hmm. And then what people tend to do is they go off piste, they try and find new content, they're desperately trying to get a response from the faces. And 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 people need to be really careful about that and to remember these people don't think you're looking at them and therefore they are concentrating. Thank you so much for making this point. This is a, another pet peeve of mine whenever I see, I'm at virtual conferences and I see sullen faces on the panel. And I'm mm. just thinking, you're on camera. Imagine yourself being on live television. Project, fake yeah. nod if you have to pretend that you're still mentally part of this conversation because otherwise the audience will stop caring, which is sort of yeah. the flip side of what we've just seen. But Story for another day, because otherwise you and I will be here for hours. Which well, let's be, be here for hours. Why not? Good. The poor <laughs> audience, though. The poor audience. But let's move on, I want to say, in the in the uh, four key pillars to success, mm. Mm. which the next point of which is, um, which also requires preparation is content. What do you think about content when you ahead of a negotiation? So the image I like to use for content is panning for gold nuggets as in a riverbed and what we're striving for here is discipline because we have to respect our audience's time Mm -hmm. and we have to speak with clarity and concisity that's not a word but it should be Mm -hmm. and particularly 
um, post-pandemic, let's hope we are post-pandemic, people's concentration is shot to pieces. It wasn't very good before the pandemic. It's even worse now. And so this idea of respecting their time, of only delivering gold nuggets of content, is very, very important. And we we basically pan for gold. We pick up what we think might be a, a piece of content we want to, to bring in to, to the conversation, to the negotiation. We look at it. We look at the audience. We look at everything we've researched about them, thought about them. Is it of value to them? Do they already know this? Is it taking us on the journey? Yes, no, it's in or it's out. Mm-hmm. And it gives us the courage and the discipline to leave out the gravel because mm-hmm. what is a gold nugget for you is not necessarily a gold nugget for them and if we're delivering gold nuggets for ourselves we may as well be talking to ourselves so that's one thing only gold nuggets please mm-hmm. second thing i call them raised eyebrow moments and all we mean by this is that you make sure you've built in some content that will make them you can't see me, but I'll do the sound effect. Uh, when they hear it, they'll go, oh, oh, uh, <laughs> I've done a raised eyebrow. And the little noise is an added bonus. And what it means is you've given them something that has surprised, delighted, possibly amused, possibly entertained, possibly shocked, possibly challenged them. Mm-hmm. But the point of it is that you have provoked an emotional response to that content. Mm -hmm. And one of the things we know, because some very clever neuroscientists have done the work for us, is there's a strong connection between emotion and memory. And if we want them to remember our content, so for example, if it's um, if it's a, a job interview and perhaps these people are interviewing five candidates for the same role, uh, you need to be memorable. You need them when you've left the room to remember things about you. And at the end of the day, when they're looking at the five candidates, they're trying to distinguish between them mm-hmm. something about you they remember. Mm-hmm. And it will be a raised eyebrow moment. It's also very useful as part part of your preparation process to have a treasure chest. I call it a treasure chest Mm -hmm. of content. And you've spoken already about building building your case. Um, This is evidence. Um, the, the, uh, for example, uh, for example, this, for example, I've done that, for example, in another context, for example, other companies are doing, for example, this worked for us in a previous uh, project. Um, and part of that treasure chest is what I like to call the while I've got you questions or topics. Mm -hmm. Now, this is inspired by the work that I uh, sometimes do on uh, helping people prepare for media situations. Um, And it's, it's anticipating the moment when you've, you've gone on the radio to talk about apples, and uh, you've had a nice interview about that. And then at the end of that, the interviewer goes, Oh, and uh, while I've got you, uh, can I ask you about and then, you know, it's something really awkward, and really left field um, Mm. and you hadn't prepared for it. So trying to anticipate the while I've got you topics Mm -hmm. is very, very valuable. So so look at the 
look at the core content that you know you're going to be discussing and then look either side of it. Um, look for tangents. Think about what's happened in the world that morning, what's happening in the news at the moment, uh, what's happening in the economy, what's happening in their business, what's happening in your business. Mm -hmm. And try to try to imagine the worst thing that they might say to you or mm -hmm. ask you and have something, even if it's only a holding statement, even if you're going to have to say, um, my area of expertise is actually oranges, mm -hmm. um, but I, you know, I, I, can, I can do some research on apples mm -hmm. for you and get back to you tomorrow or later or whatever. That would be a holding statement. But, but the, the while I've got you question, trying to prepare for that will, will be one of your building blocks of confidence. I think this is a really good point to wonder where might the wicked curveball come from? Because yeah. if an interviewer is skilled in interviewing, they will try to destabilize you slightly for multiple reasons. A, for instance, a slightly less confident person will accept a lower salary in case of a salary negotiation, but also to stress test you to see, uh -huh. okay, how does this person behave under pressure? Because this might be required yeah. for the job. So prepping for this, and as an example, for me, this was always when I went into corporate, I had no business background. So I needed to always be ready with a story as to why my studies would still prepare me optimally for an environment in which I knew nothing, uh, nothing. And then post my career in, in corporate, which was in a let's say, troubled sector with not the best <laughs> reputation, people would then continue to ask me, but what was that choice? What did you mm. do there? This was impossible. It's terrible. And I needed to be ready with a good story to, um, to lead them away from the negativity of it, but much rather bring them back to the skill sets that I had acquired in the process. And, but this is just a quick side note. What I think is wonderful about content is it allows us to shift our perception of what this negotiation or interview moment is about because if we're not practiced if we're not prepared what our subconscious will try and do is to have it go as smoothly as possible so let's duck and get out with as little friction or tension as we possibly can which is a terrible 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 mindset if you go into mm. a negotiation silences will be used on you purposefully uh, which you will yeah. try to desperately fill fill because they're uncomfortable and there are all these techniques that you need to start to know and having content having golden nuggets being able to lead the narrative will allow you to remember that you are there because you chose to be there not because you were somehow put there as a passive bystander and i personally i love an interview moment it's the theater of it it's the gentle the push and the pull and the meeting new and exciting minds and it's a little bit naughty but whether it comes to you naturally or not packaging and memorability of your content and your arguments is very crucial because facts prove but stories are the things that move and you spoke about this emotional connotation before you need to move people on the other side of the negotiation table to give you the job or the salary increase or whatever it is that you negotiate for. So would you mind sharing some of your secrets in this respect with us, Jane? Mm. Um, absolutely. And I, lo I love your comment about silence. Uh, so true. Uh, I came across a lovely quotation from uh, Charles de Gaulle who said, mm. silence, silence is the ultimate weapon of power. 
mm-hmm. particularly in the context of, of a negotiation. This is something I've had to work on, actually, in negotiating fees as a freelancer. I've been self-employed for 25 years. You, 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 know, you propose a fee. And then in the early years, I would go, how does that sound? Is that all right? What do you think? Is that, is yeah, that yeah. sort of what you were expecting? <laughs> totally undermine the strength. That was Jane Constantine's, everybody. What a marvel. If you've enjoyed part one of this episode on negotiation and communicating with confidence, then stick around and stay tuned because part two is coming away on September 20th, 2022. Be sure to check out Jane's website, her socials, our socials, our website. Follow us on the podcast player in which you listen to this episode. It will really help us uh, grow the show and spread the good word. And as always, gentlewomen, gentlemen, and everybody in between, let's go get it.